Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Goals. Gold gloves. That's the nothing personal word of the day. Did you see what happened in the pitcher's gold glove? Zach Greinke won one, Mike Leake won one. That's funny because Zach Greinke won one playing for the Diamondbacks and then was traded to the American League Astros. Mike Leake won one for the Seattle Mariners in the American League and then was traded to the Diamondbacks in the National League. Shocking but true, you had two pitcher's gold glove members who each won in the leagues in which they did not finish their season. Is that the best MLB could come up with? Yes, because they truly were the best. Word of the day, gold. Well, we we had a lot of things happen uh, over the weekend, that's for sure. I love weekends in the fall. You know, it's the first weekend without baseball, but I got a lot of football, a lot of college, a lot of NFL, and you got to start where I start as a New Yorker, as a Floridian, crying out to please is it possible that we can fire Adam Gase? How do you decide to hire a coach and then immediately decide that maybe you should fire him after only eight games? They're one in seven, but they had the great misfortune of losing to the previously winless Dolphins. I want to explain that when you lose to a team who's actually trying not to win, that's not very good. Now, of course, the players all here in Miami and all the media in Miami, all they all say the same thing. They may be tanking upstairs, but down here, we're doing everything we can to win every game. Well, you can't really win the Kentucky Derby with a bunch of donkeys, can you? So it's not like they're going to win. It's not like they're going to make the playoffs. So why not even tank as well as you possibly can? Well, by winning the game against the New York Jets, a game which I think both teams were actually trying not to win. That's how bad a game it was. The difference is the media in Miami has acknowledged that it's tanking even when the coach and the ownership has not. But in New York, they're unwilling to ever acknowledge tanking. They've got a franchise quarterback. They just had a, a run, a, an all-pro running back, Bell, who we have to talk about because he may be hurt. And you have Sam Darnold, mono man, 22-year-old franchise guy. They've won one game. Could it be the coaching? Well, here in Miami, when Adam Gase was hired to coach the Dolphins, we were told that this guy is a quarterback's guru. He will be the difference in making Ryan Tannehill a star. Well, now that he's in New York, here's what they said. He will be the difference in making Sam Darnold a star. Why? Because he made Peyton Manning a star. Why? Because he made Peyton Manning a star? No. That's like saying that when you're playing golf with Tiger Woods and he has his best round ever and you shoot an 85, you say, hey, it's because of me that he shot a 60. No, you just happen to be there to see it. And that's exactly what happened with Adam Gase. He just happened to be there when Peyton Manning, and actually I could argue that he didn't have even have such a great year when they won the Super Bowl, but Peyton has a good career, I grant you. So the question is, will the front office of the Jets act? Well, you know the owner is in London as the ambassador. 
to England. You know that the owner's brother really is not involved and doesn't care. You know Gase wants to be the GM, but he's not. So who would exactly make the decision to pull the plug on the Sam Darnold era? It hasn't even started yet. Or trade Bell, which they're not going to do. Or fire Gase and actually acknowledge that that's what you're going to do. You can't do that because then it means that you've made a huge mistake. Trust me, I fired a lot of people. You got to wait a little bit. You have to have a better narrative. Forget one in seven. I want to go one in 15, get the number one pick, and then fire Adam Gase after one season. Whatever the case may be in New York, I'm sorry, but it's NG in NY. That's not the only place that had a problem this weekend. We've talked about it on the show, but it's easy to go back to. They just, they make it so easy. When I'm thinking about things to talk about in this show, and I'm, I'm looking around and I'm thinking about topics, I've got some go-to guys that I just want to hear what they're saying and understand what information they're going to give me that will make it so much more enjoyable to talk to you. Well, Odell Beckham, he's a go-to guy, right? He's the one, his quotes, they're like made for this show. So here's the quote, I'm going to get it exactly right. The Browns, you know what they did this weekend. Yes, they lost to the Broncos. No one loses to the Broncos, which is why we called on this show that this is the end of the John Elway era. However, the Browns found a way. It turns out the Browns are closer to the first pick than the 32nd pick. Here's the quote as he's leaving the field. Highly emotional. Normally, I dismiss quotes as emotional after a game, but not with Odell Beckham because he actually is the same during the game, after the game, before the game. It makes no difference. I can't get the ball to save my life. That's his quote. Talk about a me first guy. Nothing about the team, nothing about the fact that they're underperforming in every possible criteria. I can't get the ball to save my life. He must be referring to the fourth down play that went to Jarvis Landry and fell incomplete. Well, Odell, here's why he didn't get the ball on that play. It's called N-O-T-O-P-E-N. You weren't open. So maybe what you should do to get the ball, and if that's really what it is that will save your life, I would just throw you the ball every time because I don't want you to lose your life over a failed fourth down conversion. However, if you want to get the ball more, my suggestion to you would be to try to get open just a little bit more and try to be a little more of a team me first kind of guy. Why he does this? Because he's Odell Beckham. It turns out that if you run a team, let's say a 25-man baseball team, a 15-man basketball team, you don't want more than one to one and a half. The over-under is one and a half sort of me guys. If you've got too many, like over two, it really is hurtful in the clubhouse. And so you really have to be careful. And what the Browns did, strangely enough, is they decided to bring in people who they knew had a really strong chance to combust, and combust they have. So listen, Odell, I'm sorry you can't get the ball to save your life, but maybe next week you'll make a better attempt on getting open. So that was all sort of the prelude to the best part of the weekend for me, because I'm Miami and I love the Miami Hurricanes. They're not my team, I'm a Badger. I'm an admitted Badger, I'm Wisconsin all the way through, top to bottom. However, Willie Taggart got canned. How great is that if you love the Hurricanes? The FSU coach, but that's not the big story. Everyone's reported that he got fired, no big deal. Let's talk about the real story. The real story is that he's getting between a 17 and $18 million goodbye present. So here's how it works. You sign a contract, it's guaranteed. You can get fired any day. The only problem is you gotta pay him out on his contract. Most contra contracts act as a severance. So when you sign a contract, let's say you have a four-year deal, but the severance is a 12-month severance. 
That means that if you get fired after the second year, you get paid the next 12 months. Unless you negotiate that all four years are guaranteed, no questions asked whether you work or don't work. Well, Willie Taggart negotiated that contract only 21 games ago, and he's now owed that $18 million. Here's the rub. That money comes from somewhere. Where does it come from? It comes from FSU. But oh no, they said. It didn't come from us. We called our boosters. A booster is someone called a donor. They call it a booster because it boosts up the athletic program. Think of like the buttresses on the Notre Dame Cathedral before the fire. Some of the buttresses are still there, but they're behind scaffolding. But go check that out, and you'll see what a buttress is. So boosters buttress. Donors donate. Either way, money goes to something that helps run the school. So FSU, what could they need? Better classrooms, better facilities, maybe some money for the water polo team, maybe more dorm bathrooms, maybe an update on any of the dormitory rooms so they could be a little bigger than a shoebox, maybe more security. Well, they raised money to get rid of Willie Taggart. My question would be, why aren't we firing every single one of the people who said they wanted to hire Willie Taggart? Because this is not money that can only be used for severance of coaches. When you go to a booster to boost, you could go to them to boost something else for $17, $18 million. They could boost scholarships in the athletic department, legitimately gotten scholarships in the athletic department. They could boost a new pool. They could boost better travel, better clothing. They could pretty much do anything they wanted to do. Now they're forced to raise money to give to Taggart. Now you're saying to me, and you will, yeah, but they're still gonna give money to those other things. And the answer is, no, they're not. Because they had an idea of how much boosting they were gonna do this year. And once that boosting's done, there's no more boosting. They won't give to the other things when you come asking. So when you go ask the Taggart booster to say, hey, we actually need a new bus for the football team, they'll say, I'm boosted out. So don't believe anyone who tells you from FSU this was extra money that was gotten. This was raised for the sole purpose of paying out Willie Taggart. Don't believe him, because it's not even remotely true, close to true. The disaster of firing a football coach after 21 games and owing him that much money, we're not talking about money that's secreted away as pension money. This is brand new money that is raised because now they're also gonna have to pay a new head coach. FSU made a mistake. They doubled down by not being honest about the money and they should do some explaining. Speaking of explaining, we got a lot of explaining today. What a fun day it was. Anytime the Mets have a managerial press conference, I smile. Anytime any team has a managerial press conference, I smile, because I've done so many, and they're fun, right? It's a new day, it's new hope. You believe everything's gonna be great. You, you get the salespeople out making phone calls. You get the new manager to record a sales call to send to protect prospective season ticket holders. Hi, I'm Carlos Beltran. I'm the new manager of your New York Mets. Please join our family because we're gonna be really good. So he records that. That's like the fifth thing he does. He takes pictures for the yearbook. He puts on his hat and his uniform. Everything's great the day you hire a manager. But today it was even greater. And here's why. Brody Van Wagenen, you are my main man for giving me this sound. Carlos's hiring is a signal and an affirmation that is clear and loud to this organization's core tenets of being a players first organization. We're players first here. Carlos Beltran will be a players manager. 
<laughs> yes! Brody Van Wagenen, you're my guy. Let's hear it. We're a player's first organization. Carlos Beltran will be a player's first manager. All right, Brody, let me set the stage for you. Let's start with the first time that Jeff Wilpon, the owner and president, wants to come into the clubhouse. And your players come up to you and say, you know, we don't really like the front office in the clubhouse. We need a rule. This clubhouse is our clubhouse. Hey, Carlos, you're a player's manager. Will you go tell Jeff that, please? Will you go tell Brody that? And then he tells Brody, and he says, Brody, you're on tape. We have it. We are a player's first organization. What about the fans? We'll get to that later. Brody goes to Jeff Wilpon and says, hey, just so you know, we really don't want you in the clubhouse anymore. That'll go well. We'll see. And here's another thing that's going to happen, Brody. Carlos Beltran is going to want to say over the 25-man roster, and he's going to want to decide who he wants to keep sort of as his 24th and 25th guy because he's going to like them because he's so close to have been a player and he's got relationships. And he's going to want certain people kept and certain people not kept. And he won't care about arbitration or service time. He won't care about any of the stuff that you're supposed to care about, Brody, because you're now a GM, not an agent. I think that was the agent talking when he said that, the players first, because agents have to be players first. GMs can't be players first. And managers can't be told they're going to be definitely players first because I've tried it and it doesn't work. It can be players first and a half maybe? More like first and three quarters. So when Carlos Beltran says to Brody Van Wagen, hey, I've got the guys I want to keep, and the reason I want to keep them is that I'm a player's first manager, it's not going to go well because there's money involved. And if I have a choice to keep a guy making $2 million on a major league contract or a guy making the minimum 600000 on a major league contract to be my 25th guy, I'm going with the $600,000 guy. Why? Because that's a million point four dollars that I don't have to put in the team that's losing money. But I can't tell Carlos that because we're now a player's first organization. You know when else that's going to happen, Brody? When he called it the basic tenant. That means uh, that's the basic principle is he is what he's saying of our organization. Well, I guess in one way he's right because he did sign Jacob DeGrom to that very player-friendly extension. But you know what's not going to be too player-friendly and player-first? is when they figure out what they're doing with with Jonas Suspedes. And they figure out that they don't want him playing next year because of insurance proceeds. But Carlos Beltran says, I think he's ready, and he'd be very super helpful to our team. Hey, Brody, let's get Cespedes on the roster. Brody goes to the Wilpons, and they say, are you kidding me? If we let him up and show that he's healthy, we lose all insurance money. We've got to collect the insurance because we're allocating payroll as though we were getting that insurance money. We don't want dead money like that. That's just four examples. I could go on all day of issues where the manager cannot be a player's first and the organization cannot be a player's first organization. It will come up every day. Travel. The players will say, hey, we want to leave not right after the game. We want an extra night at home. Or we want to get to a road city a night early. Well, when you want to travel early, and I had this with our players, they wanted to get to cities a night before because it's an extra night away. For single guys, it's an extra night to go out away from their home city. For married guys, it's an extra night away from the family to go out if they choose to go out. So always that was an issue. But it costs money to get the hotel an extra night. But a player's first organization, they're going to do whatever the player wants. Well, guess what? We're going to be talking way more about this as the season progresses because anytime you get an opening press conference like that and it's on video and we get to go back and reference it, 
it makes for a lot of fun shows and a lot of fun moments in Metsland. <laughs> Yesterday is a good day for me. I love watching the New York City Marathon. Who doesn't, right? It's the one day, do you know that more than in New York, more than January 1st, which is when everyone has news resolutions, and that's when revenue for gym skies, and then they sort of start dropping out, right, when they realize they're not going to change their shape in time for summer bathing suits, so they miss the window, so they just drop out of the gym. In New York, there's a huge increase in running activity after the New York City Marathon. And my first marathon was 1996, the first marathon I ever did. And it was on a bet, no doubt about that. Someone bet me I couldn't do it, and my friend Brett, but how can you bet me I'm not gonna do something? Of course I'm gonna do it. In March of 1996, I couldn't even run a mile, and by November, I'd finished the marathon. Of course, I had hypothermia, and of course, I almost died, but doesn't matter, finished and got the medal. What I can't believe is what happened yesterday. I really had never seen anything like it. The woman's winner, who's Jocelyn Jepkoskai, that was her first ever marathon. She is the world champion in half marathons. She towed the line for her first marathon in New York, which is no picnic marathon for those of you who have done it. You've gotta go up the 59th Street Bridge, which seems like it lasts forever. The first bridge, the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, does last forever. It's basically sort of a nightmare. It's crowded, although not if you're winning, I guess. So she had never run a half uh, a full marathon and was the world champion half marathoner. I can't exactly figure out how she did it, uh, but she won the whole thing. Not only did she win the whole thing, but she actually came seven seconds away from a world record. I really don't understand how that happens. The seven seconds was from the New York City record. I just am trying to figure out how you train for that, how you train from going half to whole. So I'd like you all to picture, if you like running around the track like twice, that's a half mile, picture sprinting, not just four times around the track, right? It's over a 100 times around the track. That's how long a marathon is, and basically sprinting. And if you watch her, it's, you know, they all wear as though it's not cold, but it's pretty cold when you run a marathon. That's why you see a lot of people with hats, like Tiki Barber wore a hat and sleeveless. That makes actual perfect sense, because you want to try to keep your head warm. But these marathoners, I just give them all the credit in the world, and there's something about New York during marathon season that it just feels good to watch. So you stand on First Avenue or you stand in any of the five boroughs, it goes to the five boroughs, and you wait for the leaders to pass you. And I and I remember the feeling of what it's like to see them sprinting and to feel like I wanna do that and realizing that you can. All you have to do is train. We've talked about it before. You can do extraordinary things. You just have to train and do it. You don't have to win the marathon. Just finish a marathon. And the thing is, here's a good quote to remember. Remember tomorrow. Meaning, remember how you feel when you blow off your workout tomorrow. You'll feel like crap. Remember how you feel when you do a workout? You feel great. So the key is remember tomorrow. And when you're watching Jocelyn and she passes you by, you can say to yourself, I have a chance to do that. And there's not many sports where that happens. So congratulations, another successful New York City Marathon. Next year, I think we're gonna do the show while I'm running the New York City Marathon. It's the 50th anniversary of the marathon and it's a Sunday, and I'm gonna wanna run that, and I think it'd be great to try to do one of these shows while running. Incidentally, there was a Nationals fan who ran the marathon while juggling a baseball and two bowling pins. Uh, that's hard. I did find time to binge a show that I couldn't believe. I watched the Emmys last year, and this woman gets on stage, who I'd never seen before and never heard of. Her name is Phoebe Waller-Bridge. 
And she's winning for a show called Fleabag, which I'd never seen or heard of. But when you win an award, I have to believe that there's a chance that, assuming there's no payola, that maybe she earned the award and maybe it's a good show. Well, I finally got to it this weekend and I was able to watch the first two, the first two seasons in full of Fleabag. Here's what it's about. Her name is Fleabag and she uses, she breaks through the third wall or is it the fourth wall? Do you know like when you're acting on Saturday Night Live and all of a sudden they're acting, looking at someone and then they look right at the camera and talk to the camera? That's called breaking the either third or fourth wall. It's breaking the fourth wall. Thank you, left ear. <laughs> Coca. So basically, Fleabag breaks the fourth wall the entire show. She explains what she's going to say, why she's going to say it, and then she goes right back into the scene and says it to the other character, and then right back to the fourth wall. And you'd think that that's a tired gag, right? That it doesn't work. Each episode is 26 minutes. Here's what you do after you watch the first one. You watch the second one. And when the second one's done, you get to the third one. You can't stop. But there's only eight episodes per season, so it's really only four hours per. So you're looking at an eight-hour binge. That, for me, is a one-dayer. If you've got kids in diapers, it's a two-dayer. If you're an insomniac, it's a one-nighter. But here's why it's worth it. The second season is better than the first, and the first was outstanding. Anytime you can get a priest and have a Thornbirds type of possible situation, if you don't know Ralph DeBrickesart, I encourage you to Google Ralph DeBrickesart, played by Richard Chamberlain, incidentally, with Rachel Ward. Rachel Ward, as in Against All Odds, as in used to be married to Bryant Brown. Yes, that Rachel Ward. Anytime you can get a priest and a woman to have some sort of sexual tension where there's a chance of something happening, but you know how wrong it will be, but yet you feel like it could be super, super right, that's Fleabag. You're going to thank me. <sighs> this next one is going to be a long, it's going to be a long segment. And um, sometimes I'm reading something and something comes up that I, I don't actually believe is true. And it makes me so angry that I send a email or a letter to Coca and uh, the producer, Matthew Coca, and I say to him, this is going in the show and this is a serious part of the show. And I don't mean serious as in preachy or serious as in we're trying to change the world. I'm talking serious as in you cannot believe what happened in the sports world in this area. And I don't often talk about high school. And I certainly don't often talk about high school in New York other than the one I went to. But we're talking about a guy, and I'm going to get his name exactly right for you, Rob Schraver. Who's Rob Schraver and why is he on Nothing Personal? Well. He is the head coach of a school called Plain Edge High School. Plain Edge is a place on Long Island. It's somewhere in Nassau County. I've never been there, never heard of it, no idea what it is. What I do know is that Rob Schraver, we're just gonna call him Rob from now on, Coach Rob, was suspended for one game for violating the following rule in Nassau County. He ran up the score in violation of a three-year-old rule. Here's how it works. If you beat a team in Nassau County by more than 42 points, the head coach has to go explain it to a board, a committee of people, what was the reason that you won a game by more than 42 points? A coach has to explain 
to three suits why he won a game or she won a game by more than 42 points. That's outrageous. Anyway, Rob, Coach Rob, has to explain because he wins a huge game, and uh, he goes in and he gives his reason. His reason was we were playing a very good team, and they were ranked, and we wanted to make sure that we kept the pedal to the metal. He then got suspended for violation of the rule. And here's what's bothering me more than anything, and there's just so many levels of it. He's the first varsity coach ever to be punished under this rule. And he was punished because he was told, and this was the ruling of the committee, the starter should have been rested. Really? Really? As far as I'm concerned, the starters can win the game by a 1,000 points if that's what the coach wants. And I don't care if there's parents. And believe you me, parents are responsible for this rule. Believe you me, parents of the scrubs want their scrubs to play. And they want close games. Wait a minute. I had a whole thought process as I'm thinking through this issue, and I realized that couldn't be it. Even though that's exactly what happens throughout high school, is you've got coaches dealing with parents who believe their kids are Michael Jordan or LeBron James or Tom Brady or Megan Rapino. It turns out that their kids aren't anything close to that. Mostly their kids stink. And so basically, as the coach, you have to tell them, hey, you can do all the coaching you want outside of school. Your kid is still going to stink. But why don't you try to let him or her have a good time? Or better yet, don't try out for varsity because sometimes I'm forced to take everyone because I'm not allowed to cut anyone. Everyone gets a trophy in our school. How can this be happening? Why can't we teach kids that sometimes you're going to lose by 75 points? And it's not a lack of sportsmanship. Maybe the lesson is how to lose and how to recover. Maybe the lesson is how to win and keep going. Maybe the coach didn't want to rest his starters because he didn't want to have to play the scrubs. Maybe the scrubs would put people in danger. Maybe they would put themselves in danger. Maybe they should not be playing teams where they could win by that many. No, I want that to happen. I think it builds character. What's wrong with a little adversity in some of these student athletes in high school? What's wrong with teaching them what it is to lose like a man or a woman or to win like a man or a woman? What's it like to know that that coach got suspended? How do you think the starters of that team feel? How do you think the students feel? The athletic director came to his defense trying to explain it. There's no appeals process. He lost. He's going to be suspended for the full game. Here's an idea, Nassau County. Why don't you realign your divisions and make it so every game ends in a tie? That'll be the rule, is that any time any team is up or down, they have to fold their king, lay the king down, and make sure the game ends in a tie. Therefore, nobody goes home a loser. That would be good. That'll be the rule. Let's see if we can get it by the, by the executives. I don't think we can. So what I propose to do if I were Coach Rob is I would have walked in there when I won the game 61-13, and I would have said, I deserve to be suspended. Do you know why? It should have been 161-13. to I feel I didn't do my job properly. You can tell me I violated the unusual conduct policy, and you're right, I did violate it. It was unusual that we won by such a small margin. The way we were playing, I thought it would have been greater and bigger. Do you remember when in the Women's Soccer World Cup, the women's team got criticized when they scored all those goals in the first game and Alex Morgan had a hat trick? That was a great game. 
that was exciting as far as I'm concerned. Do you know why? Because goals count in that. So do points count in Nassau County? Is it good to run up the score? Are they getting paid of their playoffs? None of these things exist. But it's so pervasive, both in amateur and going up into professional sports, this new idea of sportsmanship and this new idea of everyone needing to have a trophy that it has not enabled us to teach our athletes adversity. And this bleeds to the major leagues because kids come up through the ranks and they don't know how to lose. You get kids that we draft who have never lost anything. There was a story about Patrick Mahomes, I believe. May have been Mahomes. There was some player who lost in the beginning of his career more than he had ever lost throughout his high school or college career. More games. He didn't know how to lose. Well, I think it's important. I think the life lesson is just as important to teach to the kids who are on the wrong side of that 61 to 13 match as they are on the right side. And if I am right now the superintendent of that district in Nassau County or the athletic director or the coach, I am standing up and I'm using this platform because I'm in the news, not just nothing personal. This has been in the news because this man was suspended. I'm using this platform to go against popular convention right now, to stand up and say, I'm angry and I'm not going to take it anymore. And I don't mean Peter Finch from Network. I mean really doing it where you say that we are doing a disservice to our kids and that is unacceptable. That is what the violation should have been, the disservice to the kids. Instead, Coach Rob goes without a coach next time his team plays to defend their 61-13 to victory in Plain Edge, Long Island. I'd like to say to Coach Rob that I called you Shraver and Shaver. And there's no way that this apology is big enough because we've never met and we never will meet. So anytime you heard Shraver during the course of this podcast and this show, I'd like you to pretend I said Shaver. And this way I can say I didn't say his name wrong. There was a fight this weekend. It was a good fight. Did, did you see it? It was the National Football League Players Association against the National Football League Network regarding Trent Williams. We've covered the Trent Williams. We're not going to cover it again. I'm here to talk about the players union in the NFL and them getting angry at an owner-owned network. Here's what I mean. NFL Network, owned by the NFL. NFL is owned by the owners. MLB Network, owned by the owners of Major League Baseball. Now, they've sold off parts of it. Everybody's monetized a little bit, but they're still an owner and they still have control. Here's how it works with MLB Network. Do you know why um, no one goes to MLB Network for breaking news or when there's something major going on in baseball? Like, say, the Tyler Skaggs autopsy that shows opioid use. Do you know why I don't go to MLB Network? Because they're 20 minutes late on the story. Why are they 20 minutes late on the story? Because they have to find a way to get permission to make sure the angels know what's in there, to make sure the commissioner's office knows what's in there. There's a complete lack of editorial basically independence. Now, MLB will stand up and they'll say, not true. MLB Network is completely independent. And I'm here to tell you after 18 years in baseball, that's a lie. And the reason that's a lie is I know because I've called the commissioner's office to complain about things written and said on MLB Network. The reason why you never get huge opinionated people on MLB Network is because if they offend an owner, they get in trouble. And I don't mean the trouble like when you say something, the sky, the earth is flat. I'm not talking about opinions like that. I'm not talking about opinions on, let's say, family values. I'm talking about criticisms of the team and how the team operates. 
Do you think right now on MLB Network, there's an article, or on MLB.com, there's an article, on MLB Network, there's a show where they're saying that the Brody Van Wagen and press conference was outstanding. How great is it that they're going to be a player's first organization? Or do you think that there's someone writing or saying that that's going to be a disaster? Yes, it's most definitely the former. And the reason is that Mr. Wilpon, the owner of the Mets, would call and say, you cannot criticize my team and this hiring, don't do it. So everyone's running scared. The writers for MLB.com and the people, the talking heads on MLB Network. Why do I love so much CBS? I love independence. I love the ability to be able to say the things that I want to say that are truthful and honest and opinionated and not down the middle and plain vanilla. Why do people go to CBS Sports HQ when they want breaking news? Because we're going to give them actual breaking news when it breaks, and then we're going to give them instant analysis of what it is that's going on for real. And the people giving analysis are not trying to get paychecks from a league or a team in the future. Because if they are, what use are they? Anytime you see a former player or a former executive giving analysis and they want to get back in the game, I promise you they actually have zero interest in saying anything critical. And the reason why they don't say anything critical is they never wanted to get thrown back in their face. I have no problem with that. I had a great 18-year career, which is why people are enjoying nothing personal because if it's happening, I'm going to say it and I'm going to give it to you straight. So what's straight is that, of course, the Players Association is angry with NFL Network about what they did and how they treated the Trent Williams situation, but that's never going to change. There's actually no chance that it changes because of the relationship between the owners and the network. What's my best suggestion? Well, when I was with Major League Baseball, I made a suggestion that I wanted to start an independent arm of MLB.com and of MLB Network. I'm talking independent with no oversight from team owners or executives, none, as in there's no one I can call. There were 10 different times I had to pick up the phone and call because our owner was upset with something that got said or written on the network or on .com. And I'm one guy on one team. There's 30 teams or 32 teams. That's a lot of phone calls that they're getting. So I thought, here's one way to avoid it. Let's get a completely independent arm. We can have ownership of it, but not control. We can get paid from it, but have no say in operation of any kind. What's the benefit? The benefit is we have a chance to build a brand. The advantage is that we have a chance to compete with independent entities and websites and TV shows. What's the detriment? The detriment, detriment is some people believe, and these are the old-time traditionalists, they believe that anything that you own should not be criticizing yourself. I get that. I can't sit here right now and tell you if I want to keep my job, how much I can't stand CBS or CBS Sports or CBS Sports HQ. I don't want to do that because I actually don't feel it. The question is, if I did feel it, would I say it? That's a definite way to see. But what I do know is that owners and executives don't want any part of the money they would get if the trade-off is they don't get to make a phone call and complain about things that are said. So I got zero leverage. I got, I made it nowhere. I didn't get past two conversations because it's such a non-starter. So next time you see anyone on MLB Network or MLB.com or NBA Network or NFL Network or any of the websites owned by the leagues, just remember who owns them. And the people who own them have really no big interest in being criticized about the things they do or the decisions they make. So when you're looking for opinions and instant analysis, you come to us. You don't go to them. That seems fairly obvious.
Well, there's another thing that's quite fairly obvious. Anyone watch the Heat game last night? That was a little piece of something, wasn't it? The Heat got off to a 46 to 14 lead over the Houston Rockets. Yes, the Houston Rockets, who have James Harden, the best offensive player in basketball. They signed Russell Westbrook, the Oscar Robertson of today's generation, but that's an insult to Oscar Robertson. Google it. Triple doubles, average one for a full season. Played for the Milwaukee Bucks, Cincinnati Royals. He wore number one, as a matter of fact. So the Houston Rockets come into Miami and they play a Sunday 6 p.m. game. That's a dream come true if you're betting on the Heat. If you bet on Florida teams every Sunday afternoon, except the Dolphins, we cannot ever count the Miami Dolphins, but the Miami Heat, Miami Marlins, when you play a Sunday afternoon game, take the home team every single time. Why? Because the road team, more likely than not, is going to have what's called the South Beach flu. Now you're asking, what is the South Beach flu? And you may have heard the expression. We use it all the time in baseball. It's that little thing you get in your throat, the <clears throat> when you walk into the training room right before you're supposed to report, <clears throat> and you have no voice. And the reason you have no voice is that you just got back from the all-night club <clears throat> on South Beach. And probably you don't feel so great. And maybe your vocal cords <clears throat> are sore from vomiting. That's the South Beach flu. Now, you'll say it doesn't happen. Athletes don't go out. Professional players know they have a game the next day. Well, I'm here to tell you that they all go out. And they all go out very, very late. And they love going to South Beach. And when and South Beach is a seven-night-a-week situation. But when they're there on a Saturday night, game off. They are out. They're staying out. They're partying. They're not exactly doing something to prepare for a game. How do I know this happens? Because I've been out on South Beach. I've seen it happen. And I've been in a clubhouse on a Sunday afternoon when I can walk into the visiting clubhouse, take a look around, and here's how you know when there's a South Beach flu. It's when you go to the training room and you see people lying on the training room, not being worked on by trainers and not with IVs in their arms. They're dead asleep, as in passed out completely. They've reported when they were supposed to report. They go right to the training room to take a nap. Well, it happened so much that players were taking naps because they were out so long and so much the night before a game that actually many clubhouses now, and now it became part of baseball, you actually have to put in a quiet room. <laughs> when I got word that we had to make a quiet area in our clubhouse, it made me laugh, right? A quiet area, I thought, wouldn't that be the perfect thing for players who are getting prepared for the game? They're studying the analytics. They're getting ready. They're looking at the hitters they're going to face or the pitchers they're going to face. They're getting into game mode. Nope. Quiet place is really like a nursery school room. It's a nappy new new room. People go in there with reclining chairs. Let's go full circle back to the Mets, and I'll tell you what's going to be in that player's only quiet room, a bunch of sofa beds and recliners. That's what makes a player's only quiet room. I wanted to put in sort of fourth grade desk chairs, you know, the kind where the desk would fold up, where you could open it and keep like a computer or your notebooks inside, but they're connected, so they're sort of hard to fit in. That's what I'd put in my quiet room, because I thought, heaven forbid how wrong I was, I thought it was a study room. But no, it's not. It's a night-night room. So the Houston Rockets came in. They got the South Beach flu. Then they got embarrassed. And now they're going to Memphis. And the way they're going to deal with the Memphis game tonight is by Russell Westbrook not playing. 
How happy is he? Well, we've got a pick of the day, and uh, I'm very sorry, folks, but I won my pick of the day on Friday. But it's NBA. I, I told you all that NBA's been great. We're doing very well with the NBA. Baseball's over, thank God. We can't lose a baseball pick now until spring training. There's nothing like picking spring training games. Not. I'm never going to do it. But this is a pick of a day that's hard for me because I can't stand picking against the New York Giants. And I like the Giants. I grew up loving them. Wide right is one of the greatest moments of my life. Um, Definitely a top 10. And that's Scott Norwood, 1991 Super Bowl. Yes, it was the 90 season, but the Super Bowl was actually in 91. I never know what you're supposed to say. Do you all have this issue when you say the Super Bowl? When people say the 1990 Super Bowl, does that mean the Super Bowl that happened in January of 90 for the 89 season or January of 91 for the 90 season? I always say the 91 Super Bowl is the one played in 91. Maybe that's why no one knows what I'm talking about. For whatever reason, the Dallas line today is six and a half points. Six and a half points against Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, remember the quarterback, the guy who is now playing because Eli Manning's not? He of many touchdowns and got a win, and all the big Giants fans were saying, what took so long? We've got our next great quarterback. Well, as often happens in the NFL and Major League Baseball and the NBA, you're going to get caught up with. You're going to get scouted and then you're going to have to make adjustments. As it turns out, Mr. Daniel Jones, Mr. Jones, counting crows. We're just going to call him Mr. Jones from now on. Mr. Jones has not adjusted the way that you'd need to adjust in order to possibly cover a six-and-a-half-point spread. So my prediction for the game today is Dallas is an absolute mortal lock. And you know what happens when I say something's a lock in the NFL. You're all betting the Giants, which is maybe secretly what I want to do and what I get to root for. Here's the triple-double reverse psychology. I pick Dallas as my lock. I get to root for the Giants because then I, get to, then I get to tell you all to fade me, and then I get to root for the team I want to root for and watch the game. How many of you don't bet with your hearts? Just admit it. You bet on games that you want to watch or that you're going to have to watch or you will watch, and then you bet on the team you want to see win. That's why casinos have such nice lobbies. And that's maybe why I gave the Dallas as a lock. But now I really can't lose, can I? Because if Dallas wins, I get to say I got the pick right. If New York wins, I get to say you should have faded me. So guess what? I get to go night-night. Every day we do a wait-to-see. I love the wait-to-see segment. It provides accountability. And uh, we keep track of when we've waited, when we've seen, and what works and what doesn't work. Today's wait-to-see is a special first time in nothing personal history here on episode number 16. This is called the double wait to see. The first one is about my Miami Dolphins. They screwed it up so badly that they're gonna now lose the number one pick. They are one in seven. The Jets are one in seven. The Redskins are one in eight. Atlanta's one in seven. Cincinnati has the donut, the collar. Half the season's done, they haven't won a game. All of this tanking for Tua stuff there's a lot of teams now. So now maybe taking for the Clemson quarterback Lawrence the year after, or maybe it's taking for the number two or three pick. Maybe all this tanking isn't going to work after all. But either way, by the Dolphins losing to the Jets, they've got, by the Dolphins beating the Jets, of course, they've got a big problem. They're not going to get the pick. That's the first way to see. But the second part is the cool one. Now the first one's pretty cool, but the second one I like better. I think the NFL is going to have to put in some sort of lottery. When you've got 15.6% of your percent of your teams, five out of 32 teams have one win or fewer. Five out of 32. 
That's five cities where all they're rooting for is the number one pick. That's not good for business. They're all trying to be the worst. And when you're trying to be the worst, only one team can be the best at that. There's only one winner of the biggest loser. So I think what they're going to do is have to do some sort of lottery where it's not just the worst record gets the worst pick. Because then they can do a TV show like the NBA does with the NBA lottery. They can do a weighted system. There's all sorts of things the NBA's done. They've made it must-see TV. Even when the envelope sticks to the jar and Patrick Ewing goes to the Knicks in 1984, it's exciting, the lottery. It gives you business during your playoffs or during the offseason. That's what I think the NFL is going to have to do because for a league that talks about parity and that everyone has a chance to be good and turn it around after a year, this is not working in the NFL right now. So wait to see. There is going to be a lottery in the NFL to determine the first draft. Well, that's another full edition of Nothing Personal. We covered everything from Willie Taggart all the way down to the New York Metropolitans and my main man coach, Rob Shaver. But remember, no matter what happens, it's always just business. It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.